0: open up your Bibles we're in Deuteronomy 28 Deuteronomy 28 and if anyone needs a Bible I guess someone can grab them from the back and pass them out does anyone need one? you do just raise your hand alright looks like we're good Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 1. Moses still speaking to the people east of the Jordan, still talking. You thought some of my lessons went long? 28 chapters later, he's speaking, he says, Now I shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways." The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns, which I think is kind of cool. (laughs) And in all that you put your hand to, and He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself. As He swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, so all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord And they will be afraid of you. We've talked a lot actually about blessing recently. About the fact that we have a good God who wants to bless us. It's been unintentional, but I was looking back over the last few studies here on a Sunday, and, and we've talked a lot about just the way that God wants to bless. He wants to bless His people. He wants to be good to us and to you. And yet we spend so much of our lives running from the blessing. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden What Mark Driscoll calls the great Fud, What John Corson calls the Adam bomb When Adam bombed out in the garden I like that Ever since then we have been running from blessing Ever since that time We have been running away, fleeing When God says, I want to give, I want to bless I want to care for you We go, no, 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 no I, I got it covered I want to do it my way because I think my way might provide more than what you want to provide for me. And so we run from the blessing. It's absolutely ironic that God constantly has the open hand to all people saying, I want to do good to you, and we slap it away and say, no, no, I don't, I don't want to be involved in that. Running from blessing. Who among us does not want to be blessed? Can I just see a show of hands? You don't want blessing. You just don't want it. You'd really prefer to have a life that stinks. Man, not anyone this morning. Who among us doesn't like the sound of what we just read of all these blessings just being poured out on our lives? I mean, doesn't that resonate within you to some degree? I want this. I mean, let me just be selfish for a second. I want every single thing in this passage. Everything that Moses promised to the children of Israel. All these blessings. I want to be overtaken by these blessings. Like a big tidal wave. I just want it to crash down. Blessing, blessing, blessing. I want it to be Christmas morning every day of the year. That's what I want. I want the joy that comes with it. The great blessing. Who doesn't want that? I think we all do. And so why do we run from it? In fact, why for the whole rest of this chapter, starting at about verse 15 and running through the end of the chapter, which we studied on Wednesday night, Moses talks about not the blessings, but the curses that would come upon Israel, and is a painfully prophetic, precisely given prophecy. Through the whole rest of the chapter. You can follow it through and you can see exactly what happened to Israel. Verse 37 down there says, You shall become a horror and a proverb and a taunt among all the people where the Lord drives you. And what has the name Jew been in all of history but a taunt? A name to be made fun of. It doesn't make any sense. Logically, humanly, it does not make sense that the Jewish person would be singled out as the name to make fun of. I was teaching this Wednesday night, and one of the guys who comes on our Wednesday night study, Pat, came up to me. He works in Anacortes at the Boys and Girls Club. And he said, as recently as last week, I heard a kid using the name Jew as a curse to someone else. You'll be a taunt. You'll be cursed. This whole chapter, this last half, is all about what has happened to Israel. And it's so precise, you can see Assyria and Babylon and ultimately Rome coming in and cursing the people of Israel. And the very Hebrew word cursed used in this chapter is arar, which means bitterness. So you're going to have lives of bitterness. You have a choice. You can have a bitter life or you can have a blessed life. Which do you want? I want the blessing. I don't want the bitterness. That Hebrew word for blessing, by the way, is barak, not Obama. Barak, which means abundance. Abundance. Abundant you will be. Abundance will come upon you. Abundant you'll be in the city and abundant you'll be in the country. The picture is an overflowing giving of the Lord, a constant blessing. And Father, we want this and need this and desire to understand this so that we'll stop running and start enjoying what you've poured out in our lives. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would teach us from these words this morning. And again we ask, Word of God, speak. Father, we know you're not limited to the pages of Scripture, but we also know that the Bible is such a powerful voice, a book that is literally living and active. And so as you speak to our hearts, we pray that you would speak right off the page. Father, your Spirit and your Word together would combine to bring us to a good place this morning. That as we walk out the doors in a little while, we would be ripened vines, ripened branches connected to the vine. And Father, we would understand a little more what your blessing and your desire is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to consider this passage again. Just walk through these things with me, if you will. Beginning in verse 3, he says, Blessed you shall be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the country. In other words, from Seattle to Cedro... You'll have blessing. Whether you're out in the woods or in the thick of the city, you can have blessing. Now, I kind of find that hard to believe in the city myself because I've lived in the city. Anaheim, California, spent five years there, and it was five years too many. I'm not into the city. I was raised kind of near the city in the suburbs, and that's the way I grew up in Southern California. I love it up here. I love living out and away. And I love church in a barn. I love being able to walk here in the mornings. I love the quiet as opposed to the constant buzz. Charlotte have this thing going back and forth. She, she just for her birthday got this little waterfall thing. It's great. It's real pretty. It and will little sound of water. But she needs something at night. Some kind of, you know, what, what they call white noise. Some kind of white noise just so that she can fall asleep. I just recently figured out, because as I age, I'm breathing a little louder, as I sleep. Someone call it snoring, I call it loud breathing. Two different things. But I love the fact that you can turn off all sounds and lie there and there's silence. I love that. Because if you grow up in Southern California like I do, there's no such thing. You turn off the light, you lay in bed at night, everything stops, but you still hear the constant buzz of activity. Shhh, always. When we lived in Anaheim, it was worse because we were behind we were about right by Lincoln Avenue, trucks going up and down Lincoln all the time. Constant noise. So I love being blessed in the country, but you know what? The Lord says you can be blessed in the city. You can be blessed anywhere that you are. In other words, you will be blessed locationally. Blessed locationally. It doesn't matter where you are, man. If you're in the Lord, you will be blessed. He says in verse 4, you're going to be blessed generationally. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and that's not limited to your immediate children. It's your children's children and your children's children's children. An ongoing generational blessing to the third and fourth generation and on the Father visits to see each generation, to bless each generation. You will be blessed locationally. You'll be blessed generationally. You'll be blessed vocationally. Second half of verse 4, he says, The produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock, because that's what they did. That was the vocation in those days. Farming, or uh, shepherding, or ranching. Ranching? Is that a word? Good enough. That was the work. And so, even in vocation, everything that you do vocationally, you'll be blessed. He says, You'll be blessed, verse 5, I like this one, culinarily. In other words, in the kitchen. You're gonna be blessed. It says in verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. In other words, old Mother Hubbard's cupboards will not be empty. She'll open them up and there'll be plenty of bones for the dog and lots of food for her as well. Blessed in your kitchen, your refrigerator, and your food processor. You're gonna be blessed. Verse 6, he says, You're gonna be blessed commonly. Blessed you shall be when you come in, and blessed when you go out. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you'll be blessed. Commonly in your everyday activity, a sense of the Lord, a blessing that God is with you, that He's pouring out on you. Verse 7 says, the Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They'll come out against you in one way and they'll flee before you in seven ways. You're going to be blessed conflictually. Any of you having any conflict in your lives right now? Do you have someone, maybe a, a co-worker or a family member that you're just... You really would like to see them driven out seven ways. (laughs) Maybe you're like David and you want to say, Boy, I would just love to see the Lord break their teeth. It's one of my favorite things that David says in the Psalms. Break their teeth. Lord, I go, yes. Shatter those teeth. That would be great. You will be blessed. Conflictually, even if you're in conflict. Listen, what does the Lord say? David wrote in Psalm 23, 5, You prepare a table before me. In the presence of all my good friends and buddies. He says, in the presence of my enemies. Even if someone has issues with you or problems with you, man, you'll be blessed. And by the way, it will drive them nuts because you're just so happy. (laughs) So even in conflict, he says you're going to be blessed profitably. Look at verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns. And in all that you put your hand to, He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The whole idea of the barn is the storing up. It's social security. God's style of social security. (laughs) Because that's what the people would have to do, is store up into barns for their future. If a man was aging, getting close to that time where he wasn't going to be able to work the field anymore. Well, he had his sons to help work the field, but part of what they would do is store it up. For the winter. store it up for the coming years. And your barns will be absolutely full. God's talking to the people here about future provision and immediate income. Whatever you put your hand to, blessed. Whatever you invest in, blessed. Profitably. Verse 9, I think best of all. You will be blessed intimately. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself. Now that word established... I like the sound of that you might say what does that have to do with intimacy when Cheryl and I were first dating before we were even married we made people kind of wretch because of our affection for each other you know the old public display of affection always holding hands always having my arm around her always the kissy face stuff and and people would just go "Ah, here comes Rick and Cheryl and I remember sitting there talking with her it's not like that anymore um (laughs) I'll explain what I mean. I was talking to her mom about this one time, and she was just saying, oh, you guys love each other now, but you have no idea what it's going to be like in 20 years. Now, I hadn't even asked her to marry me yet, so you can know where her mom was on that. She wanted this boy for a (laughs) son-in-law. She knew it before Cheryl did, but she made that comment to me, and it kind of bugged me. She said, "You know, you know, Cheryl, Cheryl's dad and I, we don't, we don't, you know, do all that stuff in public. And, you know, we're not as overtly affectionate in front of people as, as you two are, but it's different. When you've been married 20 25 30 years, it's different." And you'll, you'll understand then I hated that You know As a young person I hated hearing You're going to understand later I want to understand now And I couldn't get that and it kind of bothered me The thought That I wouldn't have that That same sense Of what I thought Was intimacy Back in those days And we've been married 20 years And it's better Why? Because it's Listen It's established It's established Intimacy In a relationship That's established Over time Is better it shows the absolute foolishness of the world when someone would say, wait a minute, you've had, you've had all kinds of cereal that you can try all your life, and then all of a sudden you have to make a choice on one type of cereal, and that's the only one you're going to have for the rest of your life. That's what marriage is like, and they don't understand. Intimacy established is intimacy. Not the short-term fuzzy-wuzzies that people feel. <laughs> It's established. And God says, This is what I want for you. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I kind of get this sense, though I don't understand it now, that 50 billion years into eternity, we will be so so much more established And a hundred billion years, if you even counted by years, which I don't believe we will, beyond that, even more established for every moment with the Lord, the established foundation, the strength, the security of intimacy grows deeper. And that's the kind of blessing God wants to give. Verse 10, he says, also, finally, you'll be blessed reputationally, so that all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you, You will be blessed in your reputation, even to the point that when people look at you in the world, they will look with a a sense of awe, reverence, respect. That word fear, it's the same word that's used in the fear of the Lord. Where Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, that fear is an awe, it's a reverence. And God says, you know what, I'll share that with you. I will bless you in such a way that when I am that present in your life, people will know it and will have some sense of reverence for you. This whole passage, gang, is a promise of supreme contentment. In all things, in all places, in all circumstances, you can be blessed. And that's what God wants for you. And Annie is sounding off out there because she agrees. (laughs) It's all about the blessing. But here's the issue, gang. Moses says it involves you. He says to Israel, if you execute the game plan... If you will walk with the Lord in obedience, there will be great blessing. Now again I ask, who among us would read this list and say, Bag it, I've got better things to do. I would rather come up with my own list as opposed to God's list. I don't think a one of us would. And you might say, good, I'm ready for the blessing, let's go. Let's head out the door, let's take the blessing and run. And that's kind of the problem game because so often that's what we do. We want to take the blessing of God. We have maybe an experience on a Sunday morning where we're reading it and saying, Oh, that sounds so good. And we walk out pumped up and we're ready to go make a splash in the world. And it's not unlike the circumstances surrounding the excitement of a certain Rose Bowl game. I'm sure you all remember this. Back in 1902, <laughs> Michigan State was playing Stanford. It was the first bowl game. And Michigan State had a coach, a very famous coach, whose name was Fielding Fielding Yost. Fielding Yost. They called him Go-Get'em Yost because he was one of the last of those really great kind of Go-Get'em coaches that would stand and just pump the team up in the locker room into an absolute fury. So when they ran out on the field, they were ready to go. Go-Get'em Yost. And he had them in the locker room there. 1902. And he's talking to the team. And he's getting them charged up. Michigan State's ready to go out and pummel Stanford. And they're excited for the game. And he says, "You're going to go out there, and you're not going to make any errors. Yeah, all right. All right. You're going to go out there. And you're going to get touchdown after touchdown. Yeah, all right. You're going to make all your passes. Yeah, all right." And the guys were absolutely wired up and ready to go. And he said, "Go get them!" And they charged out the door. And as they charged out the door, Yost heard a strange sound. And quickly he ran to the door and looked to see that they had gone out the wrong door—not the door to the field, but the door to the indoor pool. It was too excited. And they just drove them right into the water. So they had to fish them out and dry them off and clean them up and postpone the game for about a half an hour while they did that. And I read that story and I was laughing and I was thinking, man, that is just like us. Go get them. All right, Lord, I got the blessing. I'm equipped. I'm ready to go. And we rush out the door. And we fall flat on our faces. Sometimes within minutes of leaving a meeting like this, we find ourselves bummed out, angry with someone, frustrated, driving home while someone cuts you off and just, you know. Just like this team, just like Michigan State. Why does that happen? Look at verse 1 again. It shall be if, if, If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And the key word in that verse, gang, is all. All. It's the Hebrew word kol. Kol in the Hebrew literally means all. 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 If you will do all that the Lord has commanded. 90% is not good enough. Now the Anacordia Seahawks high school football team. Has had a tough year. Now they're doing better. And good things are happening. But it has been a hard year. The first few home games. Those of you who went. We just kind of watched. And went.
1: Oh. Oh. Ah. eh."
0: As they, they played. But I would watch. And gang. They would play 90%. But it wasn't enough just two weeks ago on a Friday night they played the toughest team in the league and gained the final score was 38 to 35 in other words the Seahawks scored 92% 92% of the winning score that's an A it was an A game but they lost because 92% is not enough by the way, Thursday night they beat Bellingham 42 to 13, so that's a good thing. It's way over 100%. But Moses is saying to the people, 99% is not enough. You have to do all that the Lord commands. If you want this list of blessings, if you want these things in your life, you got to do it all, not just 99%. Because with the Lord, 99% is no different than 0%. James puts it this way. James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of it all. Process that. If you fail in one thing, you are guilty of the entire law. In fact, Bible students, go back sometime. When you have some time in your hands, you want to look at this, read through the Ten Commandments. God constructed and gave the Ten Commandments in such a way, it's very interesting. Exodus chapter 20, go through those and read them. Every commandment is tied to or connected to every other commandment. So that if you break one, guess what? Somehow you have broken just about every single other one. You can't say, hey, I'm, I'm great in all these areas, I'm just not so good in the lying area, you know, or the stealing area. You know, I, I fell a little short in, in this particular, but I'm great in the other areas. doesn't matter. If you can't keep it, all these blessings are not for you. Galatians 3.10, Paul says, As many as are the works of the law, they are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them, And as great as this list of blessings sounds, they are simply humanly out of reach. And I call it the good person syndrome, or the curse of the good person. The curse of the good person. If your claim is, hey, I'm good people, I live a good life. Hey, a lot of you do. A lot of us live good life. We both, you know, we're good citizens. We go out and we help in the community from time to time. We do the right thing mostly. We're good people, but if you don't keep all of God's law, you are cursed, and it doesn't matter how good you are. Which is why there was that great thud in the garden. Why Adam and Eve blew it because they only had one law. Remember, they just one. There wasn't a whole list of laws. There wasn't the 613 laws of the Torah. There was the one law: don't eat the tree. In fact, it wasn't even that. It was don't eat the fruit on the tree. I mean, it wasn't that hard. Just one. And they couldn't do it. And if we can't keep all of the law, we are like Michigan State in 1902. We're sunk. We're at the bottom of the pool. All it takes is one sin. And by the way, just to make sure this point is perfectly clear, you've already committed to one sin. Every one of us. We've already done it. We're already in the pool. We're already soaked so what's this list of blessing here for Is it some kind of holy carrot <laughs> why did Moses even say this especially knowing in the last half of the, of the chapter it's all prophecy about how Israel's going to fail and be cursed why lay this out like this gang because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that one man came he lived and he kept the law perfectly John 19.4 his own enemy said I find no fault in him Uh, He's an innocent man. Hebrews 4.15 says he's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. In other words, there's not even one area where Jesus violated the law. Not one. Perfect. Hebrews 10.7 quoting Jesus says, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. And Jesus kept the will of the Father Perfectly, 100%, he wasn't lacking in any area whatsoever. Jesus lived with perfect obedience so that all these blessings are his and they're his to give. And you might say, Well, great, how's that helped me? They understand Jesus was perfect and we are not. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 1 one of those verses in scripture that so easily can can be missed and yet the implications are profound 2nd Corinthians 1 19 from the New Testament toward the end of your Bibles follow along and listen to what Paul says here 2nd Corinthians 1 19 the Son of God Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. He wasn't yes and no. He is only yes. In, in other words, Paul's saying Jesus was not up and down, back and forth, hot and cold. He was 100%. He was yes. To all the promises of God. Yes. To everything required by the Lord. Yes. In every single way. Verse 20 says, As many as are the promises of God, in Him, in Jesus, they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen, which means yes or so be it. Through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Listen again. As many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. What promises? All the promises. All the promises. Every promise God poured out. Everything he said he would put upon Israel. Everything he said he would put upon people who could keep his word, who could keep his law perfectly. Every single good thing given by God is yes in Jesus. What does that mean? Simply this that Jesus fulfilled every point of the law. Every requirement of the Father, He fulfilled absolutely, perfectly, and in so doing, Jesus purchased all the promises. He bought, literally, all the blessings. John 8, 28, Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. I read that line and I think, that is my desire. I would love to live a life. Wouldn't you where you always do the things that are pleasing to God? there's not an, a single thought or action or behavior of yours that is not pleasing to the Father I mean when you really stepped out of, out of your selfish long enough to think about the Lord you think man I would love to be that person who comes before the Lord on that final day when he says well done it, I'm so proud of you I want to be pleasing to the Father Jesus was 100% and fantastically gang here's the deal when you give your life to Jesus he resides in you if anyone loves me, he says, John 14, 23, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode in him. As Les read this morning, they will abide the Father and the Son in me, with me. What's the significance of that? If Jesus is living in me and Jesus is 100% pleasing to the Father, guess what that makes me? That's <laughs> amazing. 100% pleasing to the Father. I win. Why? Because Jesus is right here. Because when the Father looks at me, He doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see my failures. They're gone. He only sees someone who is covered over by Jesus. Colossians 1.26 The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations has now been manifested to His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What mystery, Paul? Paul? Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. But listen, there's more great news than that. It's not just that Jesus is in you. Listen, you are in Christ. Look at verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now he who establishes us, there's that word again, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You are in Christ established. The bottom line is Jesus covered all the the ifs so that we could enjoy all the thens. If you keep all these laws, go back to Deuteronomy again now, Deuteronomy 28. If you keep these laws, if you keep all these laws, then these blessings are for you. Jesus took care of the ifs that we might enjoy the thens. Paul said in Romans 5.15, the free gift is not like the transgression. He's making a comparison. In fact, in Romans 5, Paul's looking at Adam, and he's looking at Jesus. He's kind of going back and forth between the two. And he says, the transgression, the sin of Adam, is not like the free gift of Jesus. For if by the transgression of one man, many died, by Adam's sin, death comes into the world, and we're all impacted by it, Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The grace, the grace gang that he poured out reinstates the blessings he wants to pour in. The fact that I am in Christ repurchases those blessings for me. Moses preached to Israel and as he preached this passage, he expected the curse. He expected Israel to fail. He, he says, and you can almost hear it in his words, as you close out Deuteronomy and read toward the end, you can hear this, this plaintive plea. You can, you can hear Moses going, please keep these blessings. It's not, oh, God be blessed, or oh, you might be cursed, but be blessed. It's, he is almost weeping to the people, please, listen, keep the commandments, because if you do, you're blessed, but if you don't, Curse after curse after curse after curse, you will be wiped out. You're going to have an iron yoke on your neck until you've been destroyed. Please keep the law so that you can be blessed. But they couldn't do it. Their failure landed them the most infamous reputation on earth. Again, the name that's a horror and a proverb and a taunt among all the people compare that with what God promised if you'll follow if you'll be connected if you'll obey I'm going to set you high above all the peoples of the earth now I want to ask you a question this morning with all this in mind in Christ Jesus the curse is abolished if you are in Christ and Christ is in you the curse wiped away the blessing reestablished but I want to ask those of you, especially if you've given your life to Christ, do you live your life expecting to be blessed? Do you live expecting the blessing? Because I've talked to an awful lot of people who, who say, you know, I, I believe in the Lord, I've given my life to Christ, and yet, I don't understand why I don't experience blessing. I don't understand why my life is such a tragedy I don't understand why this goes wrong and that goes wrong why if I'm a child of God am I not more blessed let me give you a couple things to consider before we finish I think first of all we have a recognition problem when it comes to blessing I think we miss it maybe you've been blessed more than you think maybe the bummers of your life have blinded you to the true blessings that are all around you Sometimes I just don't see the blessing because I'm not looking in the right place. So let me give you some advice. Instead of looking for the blessings, look to the kingdom. Instead of standing there going, why am I not more blessed? Refocus your attention on the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Instead of internalizing everything, selfishly thinking for what God's going to do for you next, start doing for the kingdom. Look at verse 8, Deuteronomy 28 again. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns, and listen, in all that you put your hand to. Which assumes that you're putting your hand to something. It assumes that the hand is on the plow. It assumes that you're in the field. It it assumes that you are all about the harvest. Now listen, I love seeing this barn full. I love knowing that even at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, this many people enter into this place. And, And I also know that the next hour at 1045, it's going to be even more full. I love the fact that there's room to grow and that people are coming to hear the Word. That excites me. That thrills me. Every new face that I see is such a blessing to me. Because I know... That the workers are out in the harvest. I know as I stand in the barn, I watch the fruit coming in because I know the workers are in the harvest. They're out in the fields. They're doing the work. What is your motive for spirituality? What is your motive for your relationship with God? Is it a selfish buzz? Is it what God can do for me today? Or is it, listen, is it salvation for the lost? Is it realizing, as one writer put it, that most of the members, if you will, of this fellowship haven't even come to this fellowship yet? That most of the people who are being called to the Lord aren't even going to church this morning? That the fact that the angels rejoice more over one person who is lost and is found than over the 99 who are sitting happy in the barn? If you're missing the blessing in your life, then maybe you need to spend more time in the field. Maybe you need to be out in the harvest, because when you're out in the field, when you're out harvesting, you see the blessing firsthand. You can't get out there in the vineyard and pick the grapes without recognizing the fruit that is all around you. If you're back in the barn just sitting there, if you're in the house not doing the work, not out engaged in the active work of the kingdom, you may not be seeing the blessing. You may miss the very blessings God has for you. Which is why one of the last things on Jesus' lips, Matthew 28, verse 18, He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Go, make disciples, go. By the way, way that word go isn't just a command. Go. It's as you're going, as you're moving along, as you're coming, as you're going, as you're doing your normal everyday life, make disciples. It's not march out the door right now and do it today. It's live your life and in the living of your life, make disciples. Obey the Lord. Follow Him in such a way that there is that, that fruitfulness that comes simply from walking with Him. That's all that you put your hand to Ends up blessing a barn And that's Jesus' prescription game For a blessed life Harvesting Because you can't harvest Without seeing the blessing When you're in the thick of it You can't help but recognize the fruit So there's a recognition problem But the last thing is this There's a religious problem And the religious problem is simply That we have been possibly denying ourselves The blessings God's giving the blessing, but religiously, we deny them. How is that possible? What do you mean? You know the story. It's the story of the prodigal son. The most famous of all the stories that Jesus told. The story of a son who takes his inheritance. And he leaves the house and he goes to a distant land. And he wastes it. And he wastes himself until he is eating with the pigs. And finally says, okay, I'm going to go back to dad. And am going go back home and see if I can just beg somehow to get a job on the farm. Maybe he'll let me work as a servant. And he knew it was a risk because the law, based on what this kid did and his rebelliousness, the law would have stated the father had every right to stone him. So he goes home. And the father sees him and, you know, he runs to him, he grabs him, he embraces him. And while the son's trying to get out an apology, the father's shouting for the shoes and the robe and the ring and kill the fatty calf and start the party of my son's home. He's not even listening to the apology. He doesn't even want to hear it. He's just so glad his son is home. And we resonate with that. And yet there's a character in this story that represents the religiosity that we can slip into so easily. Verse 25 of Luke 15. I'll read this to you. Now the older son... Was in the field, He's out there in the harvest. He's working the field, and he came and he approached the house and he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, "Your brothers come, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound." And the brother rejoiced and said, "I join the party I'm in." Now the brother, the brother was incensed. He became angry, verse 28 says, and was not willing to go in. And I just noticed this. Notice that his father came out. His father knew he wasn't in there. His father who was so focused on the younger son, so focused on the prodigal, so thrilled that his prodigal was home, still had a heart for the older son. And he goes out. looking for him. Where is he? We're having a celebration. He needs to be part of this. And he finds him... And he says, hey, your, your brother has come. And he begins pleading with him. Verse 29 says, the brother answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And he should have all the blessings, huh? He's never neglected a single command. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed a fatty cow for him. It's not fair. I am working the field. I am out in the harvest. And you haven't given me any blessing. Listen to what the Father says. And this is one of the most mind-blowing things of all. Son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. Everything here, the implication of this game for our lives as sons and daughters of this father is overwhelming. The obedient son completely missed the blessing because he was busy working in the field. Wait a minute Rick, didn't you say we should be working in the field? He was working in the field of self-righteous pharisaical religiosity. He wasn't bringing in the fruit to enjoy bringing in the fruit. He was out working for the fruit so that he could prove himself pleasing to his Father so he could impress Dad. Look at the work I'm doing for you, Lord. Look at how hard I'm putting in hour after hour. Man, I've just given myself to the church and to ministry and to the kingdom. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Gang, if we're out in the field trying to impress God, we need to go home. If you're working to make God proud of you, you need to go home and just spend a little time with Him. You need to get out of the field. Let those who are rejoicing enjoy the work in the field. But if you're going to be a bummer, would you just get out of the field? (laughs) Go home. The motivation, gang, for field work is that the field work itself, the harvesting itself, is a joy and a privilege to you. If serving other people, if ministry is a joy and a privilege, praise the Lord, stay in the field, bring in the harvest. But if it's a bummer and a burden and it's causing bitterness, then get out of the field. Back in Deuteronomy 28, listen to this, verse 47. So awesome. God says, For Moses speaking, he says, Because, and he's talking about all the curses and why they were cursed, he says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemy, whom the Lord will send against you. Not because you didn't serve the Lord, but because you didn't serve the Lord with joy and with gladness. Enjoying the abundance of all things. I said last week, we don't need Eeyore in the field or by the tithe box. We don't need that kind of of service. Now listen, here's the last thing. Here is the heart of the blessed life. Here's how to experience, not just know that these blessings are supposed to be for you. Here's how to experience the blessings. That word Barak, I only told you part of the definition. The word Barak that means blessing or translated blessing in, in the book here. The word means abundance but it also means to kneel as an act of adoration. My mom and I used to go back and forth talking about whether or not you could bless the Lord. I was really getting into some of the late 70's praise songs. Maranatha praise a lot of them were about blessing the Lord and my mom would say you can't bless the Lord he already has it. You can't give him a blessing. You can praise the Lord but you can't bless the Lord. And I... I'm going to have to talk to my mom when she comes up for Thanksgiving And prove to her that she was wrong. (laughs) Because the word barak means to kneel as an act of adoration I can barak the Lord I can bless the Lord I can live my life as a blessing As I adore Him Now listen I adore my wife and kids But not because of what they do As a matter of fact, what they do sometimes irritates me. And the only reason I can say that with my wife standing in the back is because what I do irritates her probably more. (laughs) We all do things that irritate us. The the reason why there there is love in a family or in a marriage is not because both people are functioning at perfect capacity. We all know we don't. But I do adore them. I adore them just because of who they are just because of that connection now I'm telling you this for one reason Psalm 95 verse 6 says come let us worship and bow down let us kneel barak before the Lord our maker he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand so check this out if you are the people of his pasture if we are the sheep of his hand what does the shepherd have to do to interact with the sheep what does the shepherd have to do If he wants to pet one of his sheep, he has to kneel. He has to barak. He has to kneel down. Now, listen, forget the door. Look here. (laughs) Because this blew my mind. Barak is an act of divine adoration. In other words, God wants to bless you because he adores you. God baracks you. We talk about worship. I want to kneel and bow down. I want to kneel before the Father and adore him. But the Father knelt down because he adores you. He adores me. The God I'm invited to worship and adore has already chosen to kneel down and adore me. That's incredible. Jesus, in Philippians 2, 7, is described this way. He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself... In other words, he knelt down He humbled himself By becoming obedient to the point of death Even death on a cross For this reason God also highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name which is above every name So that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth And that every tongue will confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Every knee will bow before Jesus Why? Because he knelt down to adore us Because he loves us that much and if you're running from blessing would you get this picture in your mind the picture of a god who adores you so much that he would kneel down to have intimate relationship with you to establish a firm and lasting relationship with you not just for the rest of your life but for all eternity if you are in Christ and Christ is in you hear the father's words All that is mine is yours. That's blessing. And that's what he offers us. Father, Lord, we want to accept and take and experience the blessing. Oh, God, it is so awesome to see what you're willing to do, what you want to do. And I pray, Father, for a shift away from religiosity especially. That we might be just those who receive your blessing with gladness. Who work the field with joy As we see the blessing coming into the barn But Father even as we talk about these things I recognize there are so many people in this world Whose lives are bitterness Because they simply don't know Your great desire to love them To save them Somehow Father the world's been It's been given a lie that you are harsh and exacting and judgmental when the reality is all these blessings, all these promises were paid for. And Jesus, I praise your name for that. And I thank you for being the perfect man and taking my place on the cross, the place that I deserved. And as we pray... I want to make sure there's always opportunity to respond to what God's done. If you're not a Christian, if you can know, if you know this morning that Christ is not in you and you're not in Christ and you've never made a commitment to him, please pray these words. Please give your life over to him that you might live in the blessing that he's promised. Just pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin, my rebellion. I'm sorry for running away. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life and into my heart and change me from the inside out. And teach me how to walk in your blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen.